Hey, you want to be on my podcast? You want to be on me and Jacob's podcast? You've met Jacob, right? I'll be on the podcast. I wonder how much they can hear. You guys going to be on the podcast? Buddy. Oh, I should pull up the theme song. I didn't even think to do that. I've been too busy with the dogs. Okay, you were tipping. You're tipping. Okay. All right. Hi. Hi. All right, here's the soundboard. All right, cool. Got it. All right, I'm back. All right. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm keeping tabs on the dogs right now. So it, if that, if you hear them in the, although Teddy is looking like he might want to, Teddy, do you want to go outside? You look like you want to go outside. You're adventuring. <laughs> you want to go outside? Okay, yeah, I'm going to let them out real quick. All right. Uh, all right. Okay. Which means I will have to let them in at some point uh, while recording. Uh, but that's fine. I let them out while recording. Um, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Uh, welcome, uh, everyone to, uh, episode 49 of No Lights, No Camera Action. Come on, load. I am, of course, joined. I, I am no one Nelson, and I am joined, as always, by Jacob Nelson. Hello, everyone. Uh, and, uh, yeah, as you heard, uh, I will also probably be joined by my dogs at various points. Um, I'm just keeping tabs on them while my mom and sister are out of the house. I'm home for Thanksgiving break right now. Uh, just got home last night. Um, and, yeah. Um, sorry for uh, the immense delay in this episode. Noah, why are you the one apologizing? It's my fault. I mean, <laughs> it was my idea. You just went with it. Yeah, and then stopped going with it and then went for it some more. Yeah, so... Uh, we have something special planned for this episode, being the first episode we've recorded since, I mean, technically the miserable movie Oscars, but that was a live one. 
It, mm-hmm. Apart from that, the last one was in April. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yeah. Um, but don't worry. I have plans to basically, like... I think we're going to, like, semi-soft reboot the podcast after episode 50. Episode 50, I think, is going to... I We haven't talked about explicitly what we're going to do for episode 50, but I have an idea i mean i might as well just say it now i I, i'm just gonna give you the live pitch i guess um obviously we we'd probably do this sometime next month um Mm -hmm. since i'll be done with school um what do you say about doing like a massive live episode where we a finish off the films of the years of our lives challenge so marathon the last four beforehand uh, and then also probably finish developing the story for our Kingdom Hearts killer. I'm up for it. All right, cool. That's our episode 50. Although, uh, depending on how, if we delay, if we accidentally delay ourselves too long, it'll be a five movie marathon, <laughs> which would be funny. At oh, least. yeah, because we <laughs> just tack on 2023. <laughs> Yeah, yep. I didn't even think of that. Have uh, to. Anyway. Oh God, at that point, I might have to wait around for a movie to come out. I mean, I'm sure we could find. I, I'm sure there'll be something like that. There'll be some shitty like Netflix original <laughs> that we could tackle. Um, or Tubi's been turning out some originals lately. <laughs> they. Did did you hear about the one uh, that came out recently, exclusive to Tubi, that is a dramatization of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial that literally just fucking happened? Oh, God, really? Yeah, they already made a movie about it. God damn it. With actors playing Johnny Depp and Amber Heard. Why? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, presumably because it was going to stop being in the cultural zeitgeist within another month. I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, mo- moving on to the actual uh, topic for today's, uh, or the, the actual agenda for today's episode. We will, of course, continue developing uh, our uh, Kingdom Hearts killer in a bit. But first... um. As was teased months ago, oh, like actually, like almost, like over half a year ago, almost um, the years of her lives ago. Yeah, um, for our 2018 film for the films of the years of our lives challenge, I picked Mamma Mia. Here we go again, since we watched the original Mamma Mia for 2008. Um, and so, uh. We decided to do a little fun creative exercise thing. Um, basically, each of us has developed the plot for a theoretical jukebox musical film in the in similar vein to Mamma Mia or stuff like, you know, All Shook Up, Moulin Rouge. Um and Without giving too much away, we are going to describe the plot of our jukebox musicals 
and have the other person try to guess um, which musical artist, it could be a single artist or a band, I suppose. Um, and yeah, see, see if the other person can guess which musical artist we uh, based our jukebox musical around. Um, so, um, I'm going to go first since All I have right. a mine is going to be quicker. Um, I do you know, have, I get, I get the strangest feeling that that might not be hard. <laughs> yeah, I do have a full like plot summary. It, it took up like two full pages in my little, uh, Willy Wonka, um, notebook that I use, or my, it, it's more of a journal, I guess, that I use for the podcast stuff. Um, which actually has a golden ticket that came with it. Oh, nice. Yeah. I got That's it fun. at uh, Half Price Books. Uh, it's very nice. I also have a Ghostbusters one uh, from the same uh, company. I don't know what nice. company made them, but anyway. So here is the plot summary for my jukebox musical film. <clears throat> Joanne has been given a million reasons to quit acting until her boyfriend slash agent, Oliver, lands her the leading role in Jonathan Hawkshaw's new psychological thriller, reassuring both of them that she was born a superstar and is on the right track. Unbeknownst to them, however, Hawkshaw has a history of emotional torture towards his actresses. On her first day filming in New York, Hawkshaw locks Joanne in a room with live bats, which attack her. When he unlocks the room, he finds her body without a pulse and throws it in the river. His wife, Diana, witnesses this and confronts him about it. The two are supposed to have dinner with their son, Johnny, and his girlfriend, Sylvia, but neither woman is having fun tonight. <laughs> wor wor worried his wife will reveal his secret, Hawkshaw burns their house down with her inside, but fails to escape himself, dying as well. This accident makes the late night news, and having not seen her since she left for filling, filming oliver believes joanne also died in the fire meanwhile joanne wakes up in the river and discovers that she has become a vampire rather than being horrified by her transformation she decides to embrace it and marry the knight six years later sylvia and joanne meet at a bar and discover that johnny hawkshaw that's the son, uh, is trying to revitalize his family name and pursue an acting career. Sylvia reveals that when she broke up with Johnny, she stopped getting hired in Hollywood. The two women then hatch a plan to mess with him. They write a bad romance thriller film to be directed by Joanne and star Johnny. In order to get him in the movie, Joanne initiates a fake romance with him. Sylvia then hires two actresses, Marilyn and Judy, to pretend to be the same person and play the film's female lead, alternating each day to confuse Johnny. 
Sylvia warns them not to fall for Johnny's charms, claiming every John is just the same, except for her first celebrity crush, John Wayne. <laughs> Meanwhile, Marilyn and Judy begin falling for each other, but can't be seen together or else they'll ruin the illusion. Set for Johnny. Once filming starts, Joanne schedules all outdoor scenes to film during rainstorms, both to torture Johnny and so she doesn't get killed by the sun. She'd rather be dry, but at least she's alive. After filming, Johnny is stalked by paparazzi, and Joanne secretly gives them his phone number, so he's bombarded by calls. To de-stress, Johnny and Joanne go to a casino, where Johnny drink drunkenly loses all his money in a poker game. Meanwhile, Marilyn and Judy, realizing this movie puts them on the edge of glory, decide to finally enjoy being together and no longer hide their love. Over in Nebraska, Oliver finds a photo of Joanne online and, realizing she's alive, flies to New York, where the film is being filmed, and tells Joanne this time he's not leaving without her. Needing to clear her head and satisfy, satisfy her thirst for blood, she goes out and claims a victim, but is seen by Marilyn and Judy. The two tell Sylvia, who tries to call Johnny's telephone, to warn him, but he's getting drunk at a club and doesn't answer. Joanne goes to the same club to cool off, but after seeing Oliver enter, she needs to get out. Oliver and Johnny meet, and Johnny suggests that they just dance the night away, while Joanne cuts the club's power and escapes. As Johnny continues to dance in the dark, Marilyn, Judy, and Sylvia arrive and tell Johnny that Joanne is a vamp. Oliver overhears this and leaves to find Joanne. As Johnny realizes his romance with her wasn't love, it was a perfect illusion. When Oliver finds Joanne, he says he still loves her and will find the cure to her vampirism. Overwhelmed, Joanne leaves and laments that people around her don't understand the abuse she went through, and don't know how she feels as a result. Johnny confronts Joanne later, asking her to show him her teeth, and using a wooden stake to pull her heart from her body, killing her. Upon finding her heart with a hole in it, police believe that Johnny ate her heart and arrest him. Despite the lead actor being labeled as a monster, Joanne's film receives critical acclaim, with the premiere getting a lengthy applause. Okay. Is that the end? Yes, that is the end. <laughs> okay, I just wanted to say that my brain trying to do pattern recognition... Ah, uh, pattern recognition, fuck. Uh, With how you were speaking and my brain trying to identify like songs and stuff, I swear I spotted stuff from like fifty different art artists in there. Yeah. Uh, but I'm pretty. And second, 
Second thing, man, this sequel to Morbius is going weird places. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, that connection is even <laughs> funnier than you. <laughs> Actually, you might realize how funny it is. Um, I'm assuming that's for the artist, uh, Lady Gaga. That is correct. All right, sweet. Uh, yeah, and I, that made me laugh because both her and Jared Leto were in House of Gucci. <laughs> um, yeah, I also mentioned to you that I was trying to fan cast this. I didn't actually definitive fan cast all, all the characters. Um, the one I I definitively decided to cast, um, the, the others I, I debated on a couple, but for the lead Joanne, uh, I envision Anya Taylor-Joy. Right. taking on the role uh because we saw in last night in soho that she can sing well and it'd be cool to see her lead a a musical and i feel like lady gaga's music would also fit well with her style of acting so yeah, yeah. and the film would obviously be called bad romance fair enough all right uh, also uh i guess we people keep track at home what do you happen to remember all the songs that you had in there? Oh yeah, I've got it. I've got them marked. Yeah, I've got because I've got them underlined. Because yeah, I included lyrics. I, I I included clues to the lyrics in the description. So yeah. Uh, so first was million reasons, then born this way, then fun tonight, which is on her newest album. Um. Then Joanne, mm -hmm. um, then Mary the Night, then Bad Romance, uh, John Wayne, which is actually a song, <laughs> um, uh, Rain on Me, uh, which is also from her newest album, and actually on that album features, I think, one other artist and Ariana Grande. Um, I forget who the other artist is. Um, then Paparazzi, then Poker Face, mm -hmm. Edge of Glory, uh, You and I, uh, Telephone, Just Dance, Dance in the Dark, which is where I got most of the plot details and <laughs> Um... Because literally that, that song has a lyric that says, she's a vamp, she's a vamp. And also mentions Marilyn, Judy, Sylvia, and Diana by name. Um, uh, and then Perfect Illusion, The Cure, uh, Till It Happens to You, um, which I think was featured on the soundtrack of some other movie. I forget what. Um, might have been one of the Twilight movies, actually. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. I Don't quote me on that. Uh, and then Teeth. Um, also, a lot of these were from, like, her first album. Um, uh, Monster. And finally, Applause. Okay, I, I, I feel the need to explain why I burst out laughing just a second ago. Yeah. Uh, 
I guess a hint for you, Noah, and for everyone playing at home. Uh, I also <laughs> used a song that was in one of the Twilight soundtracks. Damn it, I already know what artist you picked now. <laughs> I, I, maybe, maybe. I... Also, I was totally wrong. Till It Happens to You was not featured in Twilight. It was featured in The Hunting Ground documentary ah, damn it. film, which is something very different. Oh, damn it, that would have been a really funny coincidence. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, I did have Vampire. So. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. Oh god. Okay. Before I begin this, I feel the need to apologize. Uh because you said like your plot was transcribed over two pages. Yeah. I wrote small though. Yeah. Fair, but still. Uh mine's twelve pages. Alright. <laughs> Uh, uh, before you start, let me make sure the, the dogs aren't, like... All right. That'll be a good idea. Uh, they're fine. All right. Commence with uh, plot description. Uh, I also uh, didn't review this beforehand, which I'm now realizing was prob probably would have been a good idea. Uh... <laughs> It's fine. I hadn't read mine since, like, maybe August. Alright. Most be adventure for us both, then. Okay. Uh, the story opens on a man driving his car down the road in the rain when a police car begins flashing its lights behind him and forces him to pull over. After they both park, the cop walks up to him and gives him the classic spiel for him being speeding before asking for his license and registration. The man reaches over to his glove box, glove box to his glove compartment uh, to pull them out. But as he does, he but as he does, a picture of him and another and another woman will fall out. Seeing it, he pauses uh, and expresses an expression of pain washes over his face before he stamps back to the moment and then gives his license and registration to the cop. We cut back to Lazier as he's pulling into his driveway, parks his car, and grabs the picture that fell out of the glove compartment from earlier and tuck and takes it inside. Words like ah, and now we get to the classic Jacob pauses for a certain period of time while regrouping his thoughts on reading something. Face. <laughs> we jump to a few moments later when he's sitting in a chair in his living room, looking at the picture, and begins singing. At first, the song focuses on the glove compartment uh, that he found the photo before transitioning into how the relationship with Boomin in the photo began to fade away and died. Shortly after he finishes singing this, his phone begins to ring. He answers and discovers the call is from an old friend of his named Sarah, the wife of another old friend of his named Randall, who's calling him to inform him that Randall has recently died and to invite him to his funeral. We cut to some time later in a town somewhere off the coast of the Atlantic Ocean as Henry is driving down a street named Beverly Drive. He begins, 
he parks outside the house of the heart. Fuck words. Okay, the house of Sarah and his late friend. He goes in, begins to talk with Sarah, and then notices that he was not the only person invited to this house at this moment. Also in the house are a number of other old friends of his, named Forrest, Davy, Edward, and Catherine. To greet him. A special wage is put on the introduction to Catherine specifically to in a way that's meant to indicate that she and Henry had some sort of history together. They all begin catching up with each other, having drifted apart a fair amount over the years, and we find out that others and we find out that, among other things, Edward's presence at this little get-together is a particular surprise for everyone, as he'd moved across the Atlantic Ocean some years ago. And so no one really expected him to be able to suddenly be able and so no one expected him to be able to make the sudden trip across the Atlantic in such a short time for the funeral. But Edward waves it out explaining that he would feel wrong missing the feel wrong missing the event in spite of the utter chaos it introduced to his look to his life and schedule. And that the and also added in and also adds in that the excuse to come back the excuse to come back to the States allowed him to disguise an ulterior motive. Words, sorry. I, I'm going to be doing that a lot during this reading. We are on page one. <laughs> God. Fuck. Uh, why did I do this to myself? <laughs> That's fine. Keep, keep going. Uh, uh, basically, uh, while he was over, he also intended... While he's over in the States again, he also intends to go back to his parents' place to pick up uh a, to pick up his grandmother's ring and to pick up his grandmother's ring and to use it to propose to his girlfriend back in back over in Europe. Mm-hmm. Doing a lot of fucking setup for this musical. Uh, he, uh everyone else gives him the congratulations. Any further explains that unfortunately uh and he further explains that, unfortunately, because of his previously mentioned schedule, uh, he's going to have to leave to go get the ring and then fly back to Europe almost immediately after the funeral. Words, sorry. Uh, now, I've lost track of myself, and it was, I've lost track uh, of where I was in a single sentence. Europe. Fly back to Europe immediately after the funeral. Yeah. Okay, now I'm trying to... I really should have looked over this again because the sentence that is next makes no sense, so I'm going to skip it for a second. <laughs> like I said, why did I do this to myself? Uh, Edward jokes to Catherine and Forrest that if all goes well, he'll be calling them for tips on being married. Uh, but instead of whatever reaction he'd expect from that, uh, Forrest and Catherine only grimace instead. Henry jumps back in uh, to to the conversation to, pre- uh, to press them on that grimace. Uh, and Catherine reveals that the two of them recently agreed to get a divorce. And, and have actually nearly finished with the separation proceedings. This surprises everyone else present, but the two, but the two start dodging questions whenever they ask about what went wrong. With just a simple hand wave of them saying that 
the relationship just stops working. This excuse sets Sarah in something of an especially dark mood and remarks that she's almost envious of the two of them and their loveless marriage because if she hadn't loved Randall as much as she had, she wouldn't have been in so much pain for the last few days because to her, loving someone has become watching someone die. Once again, we are... <laughs> God damn it, Jacob. Okay, sorry. We are between song one and two still. Fuck me. Okay. <laughs> Davey quickly interjects to steer the conversation in a letter direction, saying that there will be enough time at the funeral tomorrow for pain and heartbreak, but that tonight they should celebrate the reunion as, as though Randall's ghosts were among them. He has agreed to varying degrees of enthusiasm, and the night shifts to one of happy recollection. Later on, as everyone is leaving for the night, they leave. We leave Henry's. We leave Henry's. Words like we leave Henry's perspective. Henry was the focus guy, as mm -hmm. a reminder. Uh, I say because I genuinely forgot whether or not I established that. <laughs> I, I I picked it up, yeah. <laughs> you know, we leave his perspective. I focus on Forrest and Catherine uh, for a short for a short bit. As they're getting into their car, Catherine is very silent. Uh, and I lost myself in a fucking sentence again. I'm going to be doing this a lot. I apologize again. <laughs> oh god why didn't I pre-feed this <laughs> ah. <clears throat> uh, anyway so she says she, thought, she hadn't thought to ask uh, until tonight uh, basically she asked fucking words are hard uh, she asks him why she why he was so okay with the idea of getting a divorce when she brought it up. Uh, Forrest tries to deflect from the conversation, but Catherine just demanding an answer, and in response, he begins to sing a song a song that rests on that rests around that revolves around the metaphor of there being no room in frame in a photo for both of them while they were while they're in a relationship. They drive off. We return to Henry's perspective the next day at the funeral. The burial is going as well as funeral burials can go. Uh, don't look at me. I've never been to one. Uh, <laughs> oh, yes. The looking at you that I can do right now. <laughs> uh, I, 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 for some reason, interjected a joke in this. of Oh, oh that was rich. I don't know why I put that in there. I don't think I wrote jokes like that in any other part of it. You wrote that in? <laughs> okay, Eric. Oh, Once again, we an adventure for both of us. All right, continue. I forgot I wrote that. Why the fuck did I write that? Anyway. Anyway, this is going as well as they usually do when Henry all of a sudden notices like, a mysterious man standing off way to the side watching the funeral from a distance. Uh, later on at the repast, uh, Henry is talking with some other people and relatives of Randall uh, when he suddenly realizes that one, Edward isn't there uh, and two, uh, that... I'm jumping ahead of myself. Fuck me. Okay. He notices that Edward isn't there, asks Ford, 
asks Forrest if Edward has already left, and Forrest just says that he went off to go on a walk to calm his emotions. We got, and we jump briefly to Edward walking down a walking down a path, and then taking a break to sit at a bench that overlooks the Atlantic Ocean. Uh, jumping back uh, to the repast, uh, we see Henry. We see Henry seeing uh, the mysterious man from earlier, uh, and he goes up to talk with him. Uh, at first, he apologizes for possibly just not recognizing him at all, assuming that he knew, assuming that he knew Randall, and so he probably knew him at some point as well. Uh, and the man responds that he didn't actually know Randall at all, but that he knew about Randall through Sarah, and that she invited him to the, and that she invited him to the funeral. Pause. Yes. Hey, stop barking. Oh, there oh, there's a big dog out. Oh boy. Barking at, I guess. No barking. Stop. Yeah, they're not gonna calm down anytime soon. Alright, continue. Alright. Uh, we jump back to Hedward. Hedward, fuck. Edward. <laughs> oh, God. Sitting at the bench again uh, as we... Sorry. Uh, as the sound of footsteps approaching from behind him get, start to get louder and louder, but he doesn't look to see who it is. Nor does the camera show us who it is. Uh, Henry begins asking the man at... The, Back at the repast, Henry begins asking him why he wasn't sitting with the other funeral go goers, and the man replied that it felt awkward to be amongst family and friends, considering, though it doesn't explain what considering means in this case, uh, but elaborates that he still likes to occasionally go, like with mysterious language, he likes to go to the funerals every so often because they help ground him in the circumstance of the lives that have been lost. As phrasing that to which confuses Henry quite a bit. Uh, we cut back to Edward as he's looking over uh, the ocean view, uh, and he starts commenting about how he often forgets how close they are to the ocean in this area. He's always directly looking at it, just like making small talk of the person who has at this point walked up behind him. Uh, when he suddenly stops talking, uh, and a shudder ripples through his body. Cutting back to the repast, I'm doing this a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, the man responds to Henry. Henry asking. The man responds. The Henry is talking to responds. Begins responding to his confusion of confusion as a zone. Uh, before he stops for a second and goes, "Oh, uh, you must not know who I am." Uh, I'm the detective who was working on Randall's murder investigation. We then come back to Edward uh, as a knife is being pulled out of his back by the mysterious by the mysterious figure that walked up behind him. The, the mysterious figure walks away, uh, leaving him bleeding out, leaving Edward bleeding out of the bench. Uh, Words, sorry. 
we cut back to Ed. We cut back very briefly uh, to Henry being shocked after the revelation, uh, and then back to Edward one last time as dying on the bench, looking out over the ocean. Uh, he begins to sing as if to his girlfriend across in Europe. Expressing how he suddenly, uh, in the song, expressing how suddenly distant he feel about how he's suddenly feeling the distance between them so heavily and feels that he needs her so much closer now before slumping over on the bench dead. Oh, we get her sometime later uh, as his body is being carted away by, by investigators, including the detectives from earlier. Uh, he starts taking people aside to ask them questions to begin questioning them, to begin questioning them about the murder, obviously. Uh, during the during this, he takes Henry aside to interview him about all the usual detective stuff, like fucking hell. Uh, He takes him aside, asks him some questions, uh, and during the conversation, uh, Henry talks about how they had known each other what, since, since they were young, but had been, but had drifted apart a lot of the last few years. Uh, the detective at fucking hell. Okay, sorry. Yeah. Oh god, I'm bollocksing this up. Okay. Uh actually while well, while you're waiting for that, let me uh let the dog back in quick. Sounds good. <laughs> Entertain them for a second. I gotta wipe the dogs off because there's snow. <laughs> oh god, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Uh we are going to try not reading this out in the long form is not quite working, so we are going to try and speed run this. Like you tried to speed run watching Mama Mia, here we go again before. Uh something along those lines, yes. Uh <laughs> tell them about that. Oh yeah. Uh so I intended to watch Mama Mia Here We Go Again last night, passed out. Uh then intended to watch this intended to watch the movie before uh we started the podcast. Uh, by just watching it two times speed, which I hoped would, uh, which I hoped would make the music numbers a lot funnier than intended, uh, but ultimately accidentally delayed the podcast by yet another two hours instead of the many months I delayed it, bearing the thing that I am now botching the readout of. Okay.
I I mean, if it helps, the the extra two hours does not affect the audience at all. It only affects me. That's that's true. That's true. But you were anyway, also ready to me pushing the read out of this. I I am joking. Continue. <laughs> oh God. Okay, I've lost track of myself in multiple senses now, goddammit. Uh, last thing I remember was usual detective crap. Teddy, that's Willow's bull. Which is how you phrased it, not me. Yeah. Every time I try to summarize for just brevity, I guess because he's always some as opposed to trying to summarize to make things longer. Uh, every time I try to summarize a bit, uh, I realize I fucked up and put some of the setup in that summary. Uh, God damn. Okay. The conversation with the detective transitions at some point into Henry uh, recalling the mem memory of the wedding between Forrest and Catherine, uh, which is recalled in song uh, with him reflecting on how the, the marriage itself, some degree, always seemed doomed. Uh, which he's now been able to put, which he's been able to put into words recently, because uh, in a secondary flashback, he flashes back to the party from last night with the other friends, uh, where he learned that Catherine has a nebulous terminal medical condition. Uh, okay. Where the hell that puts me? Uh, come here, buddy. Come here. Come here, Pop. Come here. Come on. Come on. Come here. Come here. Come on. You can get up. Come on. Come on. Get up while Jacob collects his thoughts. Come on. Come on. Sorry, that sounded mean or your team. No worries. Eddie, <laughs> come on. Come on. Come on. You can enter you can also continue at any time. <laughs> Don't Yeah, I'm just trying to Here you go. Oh god, because I want to summarize, but I don't know how to summarize without just completely skipping over the setup to songs. They spend so much fucking time just setting up songs at times. Fair enough, fair enough. Oh god.
because uh, after picking uh, after picking who I was going to be taking songs from for this jukebox musical, I was I got the idea to go, hey, let's do a murder mystery out of this. That could be fun, and it was fun to write, but it's being a pain to recount. Yeah. Oh god. Okay. Uh we jump to the We jump to the next day, Henry's hanging out in a hotel room. David comes to visit it. Uh, they go out uh drinking to try and raise their spirits after the recent events. Uh and the night ends with uh Davy giving Henry a pep talk in the form of a song. Uh After Henry expresses that uh, it felt like his life was not really going anywhere prior. Or, sorry. Uh, and in the song itself, uh, David talks about, David sings about how when you're feeling like a tourist in the city you were born, then it's time to go and start something new with your life. Uh, Henry, uh, then decides that the thing that he's going to do to kickstart his life again uh, is to uh, pursue his old love of Catherine now that she's getting divorced. Uh, expressed in him singing about how he will possess her heart. Uh, he goes to meet with her the next day. Uh, Uh, fucking hell. Uh, he goes to meet with her the next day. Uh, expresses his new outlook on life, singing about with songs, with some more singing. Uh, saying it. Expressing it by saying that he wants to live where the soul meets body. Uh, before conclude, and then after concluding the song, expresses that he wants to uh, try again with her. Uh, Catherine tries to just shut him down by saying that he wouldn't want to, she wouldn't want to uh, leave her stuck. Leave fuck! I'm messing up the pronouns now. Uh, <laughs> uh, that he that she wouldn't feel comfortable getting into a relationship with him, considering that she could die basically any day now. Uh, with her medical condition. Uh, and Henry, uh, after pausing for a second, responds with more singing, uh, expressing that if she dies, he will follow her into the dark. The speed run of the plotting is going a lot better than I thought it would. Okay. <laughs> Uh, 
Oh, and now to the point where it stutters a lot. Fuck. <laughs> They did all that about looking at the notes and now I'm trying to figure out where the hell I was in the notes. <laughs> Follow you into the darkness was the, the last thing. I know because now my brain is trying to remember who the fuck sings that. Because like in my head, I know that lyric. Mm -hmm. But I don't know who sang it. Also, I was, I was definitely 100% like when you said... Oh, song from Twilight is in here. One of the Twilight movies. Yeah. Um, I my mind immediately went to an artist that is definitely not the one that you are doing. Uh come on, control F, don't fail me now. I know because that me artist, <laughs> I know because the artist that I was think that I was that immediately came to my mind when you mentioned a song from one of the Twilight movies is the other artist I considered doing. It was that. Uh, Bruno Mars. Ah, fair enough. But I'm like, yeah, no, this ain't Bruno Mars. Because <laughs> he did... Um... It Will Rain for one of the Twilight movies. I ultimately stopped uh, the idea of doing uh, Bruno Mars as my artist because almost all of his good songs are just about romance or sex, and that didn't give me a whole lot of plot variety. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know the feeling. I picked an art. I picked an artist where most of the songs seemingly evolved around death or heartbreak. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway. Okay, sorry, yeah. Uh, after that, uh, Catherine uh, agrees to... Catherine agrees to go out uh, on a date with him at some point in the near future. Uh Henry leaves uh, and gets and encounters Forrest uh, who overheard uh, the singing and conversation uh, and is upset uh, over Henry trying to get with Catherine. Uh, the two get into an argument about it. Uh, during that argument, uh, Henry like says that if Forrest cares so much, why is he getting why are he and Catherine, if he cares so much about who Catherine is with, why is he getting it? Why is he getting divorced from Catherine? Uh, and Forrest opens up to Henry a bit about how, sorry, uh, about the relationship not working. Uh, in another song where he describes, uh, He's like feeling like he's stuck on the wrong side of the Berlin Wall and how uh, the who was it? and how uh, the vision made it, made like the skyline feel not like what it is, but a set of crooked teeth devouring him. 
shortly after that, uh, the two. Shortly after that, uh, Henry is undeterred, so the two depart. Uh, and so the two depart. Uh, and Henry ends up meeting back with Davy. Uh, at his at their hotel, where Davy is sitting drinking in the hotel bar, much to the to a degree that clearly bothers the person waiting at it, waiting at it, running it. There we go. Fuck words. That's a long description for just goddamn bartender. Jesus Christ, Jacob. Oh, shit. Okay. Goddamn it. Uh. He tenderly tended to the bar. <laughs> anyway, continue. Uh, what's the name for the person who tends to a bar? <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, Henry talks about uh, him acting Catherine out, uh, and Davy uh, congratulates him. Uh, and from this other conversation, because talking about how, rec reflecting on how in the it seemed like everyone in their friend group was trying to pursue Catherine romantically at some point or another. Uh, Henry, uh, Henry asks Davy at some point during this how his life love life is going, and Davy expresses that he is still single and. Has come to accept it, uh, which transitioned into him singing uh, a song about it, expressing it in the sentiment that fuck words. Okay, this is an awkward sentence uh, <laughs> that I'm going to try and massage into something vaguely human speech sounding. Okay, expressing the song as the sound of him settling. For being single. Uh, the two then go up to Davy's hotel. Henry then brings Davy up to his hotel room because Davy is very drunk at this point, uh, where they find a wine bottle uh, sitting on the bedside table. Uh, Henry goes to attend to something else in the room while Davy grabs the wine bottle basically rips it open, uh, which is impressive for a wine bottle, and then starts drinking from it, uh, only to very shortly after start coughing up blood and die as a result of some poisoning from the wine. Damn, that's some quick poison. <laughs> very quick poison, very dramatically fast-acting poison. Uh, what? Uh, Henry uh, meets with the detective again after this during the whole investigation to the death. Uh, during this, we get the detective singing uh, words. Sorry, fuck, words. Okay. Is going to be an awkward run to speed run into the into the transition too, but uh, the detective begins 
thing about how Uh, he expresses uh, the idea that sometimes uh, being around so many murders can make trying to solve them feel hopeless. Transitions into and that transitions to a song uh, where he sings that he that he doesn't know why he returns to the scenes of these these crimes, uh, dealing with the ghosts of Beverly Drive. Okay, fuck it, that works. Uh, the two that they're talking about. Other things transitioning to uh, Henry talking about uh, words. Sorry, transitioning to Henry talking about uh, going on a date with Catherine, uh, which he is, in spite of the circumstance, still excited to do. Uh, words. Sorry, uh, and this transitions uh, into. the detective seeing his thoughts uh, on Catherine, basically calling her an aging ingenue. Uh, they talk about uh, they talk about uh, the they talk about uh, Henry going on a date with Catherine a little bit more. Uh, Henry begins singing uh, a song to express his excited emotions about the event, uh, but, but stops singing the song halfway through and just walks off, uh, leaving the detective uh, to finish off singing the song uh, with a warning that, with a warning to Henry that he cannot hear, uh, that. expressing that his heart risks being drowned by the sorrow that'll be dripping into it. So, since Henry's out of earshot, he doesn't exactly elaborate on that. Uh, later on, Henry goes to pick up Catherine. They go on their date. Uh, part of the date involves going out to a pier where they sit and and then reflect on their past while watching the Northern Lights. Uh, before, Hen before they leave to return home and Henry does some more reflection through song while sitting in the passenger seat of, the, of Catherine's car. Uh, the two begin talking that I am skipping over most of the murder mystery setup, but fuck it, I gonna botch reading it the long form way anyway and we don't want to be here for five hours uh, <laughs> uh words okay uh the two meet the two meet up again the next day talking about uh plans to go on another date uh words sorry uh and it's at a long time uh, expressed through a song singing about where Catherine sit, where Catherine sings to Henry to meet him at the equinox, uh, but with a warning referring to referring presumably to a medical condition that everything ends uh, before the two split off again.
Uh, we cut to uh, Forrest and Catherine uh, sitting quietly at the dinner table one last time. Before, like, talking about their failed relationship and stuff. Uh, culminating in Forrest asking Catherine uh, why she married him in the first place. Uh, and Catherine responding in song. Responding in song uh, that included the sentiment... Uh, that despite Forrest's beauty, he didn't mean anything to her. Uh, she walks off. Uh, Forrest begins drinking some drinking from some wine that Catherine brought out earlier in the conversation. Uh, begins dying from poison because Catherine was the murderer the whole time. I yeah, I had better. Yeah, I set that up better in the longer form version. Trust me on that. <laughs> well, as soon as the detective was like, oh, your heart will drown in the yeah, song. Yeah, that was the... Whatever. I was like, okay, yeah, Catherine's the murderer. <laughs> yeah, but... I set up more specific, like... It, it, oh. I mean, it, it worked. Less overt set up, I guess, in the longer form version, but once again, skipping over this for brevity. That's fine. Uh, Uh, Forrest real realizing that Catherine has just murdered him and has been murdering his other friends. Uh, his other old friends. Sorry. Uh, uses his dying breath to sing a song because musical. Uh, uh, and in the song, because it's the question of how could something, which is the question, how could something so fair be so cruel? We cut back. We cut to sometime later. Uh, Catherine, it. Catherine invites Henry over to the house, uh, and is doing some somewhat mysterious stuff off the, mysterious stuff to Henry at least uh, off to the side where Henry can't see uh, when she suddenly uh, collapses. Uh, and Henry rushes her to the hospital. Uh, where in where in the waiting room he begins singing about the moment and calls back to an earlier line that I'm glad I actually fucking read the setup for. Uh, uh, where he remembers what Sarah said about love being watching someone die. Uh, then we cut. Shortly after that, the detective arrives, uh, meets with Henry, uh, and in informs him that Catherine's been the killer, uh, but also that it seems that she tries to set him up to take at least some of the fall as well. Because part of the stuff that I skipped over was her taking time to basically plant evidence. Mm -hmm. uh, but expresses that at this point it is... But expresses that, like, if Henry is willing to... Or, sorry. It's shaking, like, 
the case even with uh, that evidence. Uh, it, sorry. Versus that, well, the detectives doesn't think that Henry did it. Uh, the case is shaking enough that it'll basically come down to what Hen uh, he said, she said, where the she is dead. Uh, so he can take the fall for it if he really loves her, or he can just not. Uh, and Henry taking, frankly, a concerning long time, certainly long time to contemplate that question. Uh, <laughs> uh, eventually, uh, express eventually rejects the idea of taking the fall for taking any of the fall for what Catherine is doing, uh, singing to the his internalized idea of Catherine in a in a sequence. Yes, words, Jacob. That is definitely that's how movies work in sequence. Fuck. <laughs> uh, in the sequence where he is singing to uh, his internalized version of Catherine, saying that he will not beat the debris in her hurricane. Uh, we do a little silent montage of Henry at the police station and then walking out into the night. Uh, and then, because of sometime later, where Henry is. Uh, leaving flowers at the graves of all his old friends, Catherine included, returns home and then sits silently in his chair from the beginning, uh, himself now singing uh, the second half of the song that the detective earlier was singing to him about sorrow dripping into his heart and drowning it. And that's that. All right. That's um, the heavily summarized version of 12 pages of plotting. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I like that we both went a like a somewhat dark direction, <laughs> like way darker than yeah. any box musical would, uh, realistically go. Although you seem to pick an artist that fits well with that mood, who the artist is, I, I am trying to figure that out. I definitely recognize some of the lyrics, but I cannot place. Yeah. You know, in, in the darkness, I will follow that. Well, I will follow you into the dark. I will follow you into the dark. Okay, yeah, that's a line. Yeah, that sounds very familiar to me. There was another one that sounded like super familiar, uh, but I can't, I'm having trouble place. And there didn't seem to be like that one song you did i mean you did kind of give me a hint that like most of this artist's songs have to do with like death and sadness and stuff yeah. not uh, all of them but while i was going through like more of their design okay for i guess background for everyone in the audience and also noah now uh i picked this uh artist slash band uh because they were the one I was already most familiar with the discography with the discography from, and then I went into more of it, and then went, "Wow, a lot of this is just kind of demanding a darker tone for Jacob musical, isn't it?" Yeah, and then worked with that. It was very fun trying to find a few lighter songs to intersperse throughout it. Yeah, an artist, an artist that you're already familiar with, is like. Like, I, I'm trying so hard to figure out, like, 
Because, like, I'm thinking of artists that are, at least from my perspective of you, so not your <laughs> cup of tea. Um, but I don't know. Maybe I know less about your music tastes than I thought. In all fairness, we don't really talk about the music tastes a lot. That's fair. I just know you unironically like Nickelback. <laughs> well, some Nickelback. Yeah, I know it's not Nickelback. <laughs> I know it's not Nickelback. There would have, there would have been some uh, ref. Their photograph would have absolutely yeah, yeah. been in there if you chose Nickelback. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. and I would have recognized. Although now I'm regretting not choosing Nickelback. That would have been funny. Um. Headphones fell out. Shit. Okay, back. I'm I'm just gonna go with a musical artist that where I'm not okay. No, cause no. Here all of the see here every artist I'm thinking of has like one song that everybody knows that there's no way you wouldn't have included. And it's driving me crazy because, like, <laughs> there's no hint in what you... Because, like, I'm thinking, I thought of My Chemical Romance, but, like, there's no reference to Welcome to the Black Parade that I recognize. I thought of Evanescence, but there's no reference to Bring Me to Life that I picked up on. Oh, shoot. Uh, I don't know the name of the artist that did Sound of Silence. Uh, but you would have referenced Sound of Silence. Yeah, isn't that Simon and Garfunkel? Oh, fuck, it is. You're right. I forgot. Um. Oh, jeez. I cannot... Oh... Who did Mad World? No, I don't. I didn't. I don't recognize any of the lyrics from Mad World. Oh my gosh! I got nothing, and we gotta. I we gotta. No, in the podcast. Uh, the band was Death Cab for Cutie. Oh yeah, I don't know that band. <laughs> yeah, I straight up don't know that band. I was. I was worried about that halfway through the the plot writing process, but nah, that's fine. I, I mean, you you came up with something really interesting, so yeah, yeah. It, it worked out. I also um, just realized that one of the things that I skipped over in my rapid summarization was the motive of the killer. But anyway, <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> anyway, for people keeping track at home, uh, the songs that I used in there were "Title and Registration," "No Room in Frame," "Transatlanticism." Wow, words okay transatlantic transatlanticism there oh fuck oh. yeah Path, you are a tourist i will possess your heart soul meets body i will follow you into the dark crooked teeth the sound of settling ghosts of beverly drive ingenue marching bands of manhattan northern lights passenger seat meet, meet me on the equinox which was the one used in a twilight movie 
Okay. Uh, Tiny Vessels, Black Sun, What Sarah Said, and Near Hurricane. Gotcha. Yeah, sounds interesting. I might have to go and listen to some of their music because I, yeah, it's that. It sounds like you came up with an interesting plot around that. Uh, want to know the other thing I considered making instead of the Lady Gaga uh one? What I totally considered making a Star Fox film using One Direction music, but (laughs) I. I couldn't think of how I could possibly make that work with with like half their discography. <laughs> um, but I did definitely consider that as an idea. Um, yeah, if if the la- if the plot for the Lady Gaga one didn't just fall into my lap, I it probably would have tried to stretch as far as I could to make the One Direction Star Fox movie work. <laughs> um, uh, or, uh, stretch, or should I say, uh, bend. That's right, it's time for another segment of Simple and Sheen. It took uh, me way too long to figure out where you were going with that. Yeah, no, I <laughs> it it took me too long to like, come up with a that terrible segue. It's like um, bend, bend. What one direction song features bend as a prominent lyric? Wait a second. Yeah, no. <laughs> specifically referencing the fact that today we are going to be developing the Avatar, the last airbender, or Av- Legend of Korra. Who knows? It- last Avatar. airbender, I have not watched Legend of Korra. So okay, fair enough. Neither have I. Um, the Avatar, the last airbender themed chapter of Our Kingdom Hearts Killer. Um, uh, you know, brief recap for those... Uh, like, we have our, our protagonist, Pascal Fisher... Uh, who lives in Threshold Harbor with with his father. Um, He was raised to be a fisherman, but has a love for investigation. Uh, Multiverse shenanigans happens or whatever. Um, And he ends up meeting Maverick from Top Gun and Sheen Estevez from Jimmy Neutron. (laughs) And Popeye's (laughs) like, go and adventure. And then they end up in the TMNT universe. And uh, Pascal meets a professional investigator, Red Hundeed, who um, works for a multiversal detective agency run by Blue from Blue's Clues. Uh, And new mutants are appearing, but not the shitty movie kind. The Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles kind. Yeah. Uh, Although I guess that shitty movie kind doesn't necessarily exclude TMNT because a lot of those movies are bad. Uh, um, That's a podcast episode for another day. I feel like I talked about it a a little bit when we did the last one because I watched most of them in prep. 
Um, and yeah, there's like two that are unironically good, one that is ironically good, and then two that are just indefensible. <laughs> um, one of which I had to stop after like less than 30 minutes because of how bad it was. I didn't even finish TMNT 3. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> moving on. Uh, and it turns out, like, the, the turtles think that Shredder's creating these new mutants, but it turns out it was this guy, uh, Dan Weasel, who's working for some mysterious villain that we don't know yet. Uh, and M. Bison thinks he's got, he thinks he's in control, but he's not. Uh, and so, yeah. Um, and now we venture into the Avatar The Last Airbender universe. And I seem to remember you mentioning that you had an idea. I do, yes. Okay, cool. Okay. Let me okay. hear it, because I... I'm not here. sure how to lead in... I'm not sure how to lead into this from them arriving in the universe uh, to the beginning of them actually getting to this plot, uh, but my idea for the plot... Uh, for the Avatar section uh, would be uh, the initial crime that uh, they're investigating is the mysterious uh, not kidnapping, I guess poaching, technically of uh, some strange foxes I think they were foxes anyway uh, in one part of the Avatar world uh, which escalates uh, into them discovering that the mysterious figure from uh, that was in charge of the mutant, like, uh, trying to like make more mutants, uh, is trying to uh, access. Uh, sorry, uh, is trying to access. Uh, I'm stumbling because I'm forgetting whether or not the name I'm going to say is the actual name of the damn thing. Uh, I have Google at my fingertips. Uh, that library in the desert, uh, now buried under the desert, uh, in order to try and find uh, text texts on energy bending. Mm -hmm. uh, considering the episode is just called The Library... Fair enough. Um, probably pretty close. It specific okay, specifically Wan Shi Tong's library. Okay. Okay. So yeah. And then the ultimate goal of the mysterious figure of that would be uh to basically steal text on energy bending that they could use to turn uh their formulating mutant army into an army of mutant benders. All right, I I like I like that it it it's it's simple but it it works and it you know delves it it deals with you know pre-established stuff in Avatar lore. Um, what one one thing that I was thinking of is when would we want this to be because like. You know, with the way Kingdom Hearts structures its worlds, sometimes they take place 
as like pseudo sequels to the movies. Sometimes they just are the plots of the movies. Um, so when are we thinking this would take place in like the Avatar timeline? Like after the show, during the show, during a specific season? Honestly, I'm a little torn on it. Okay. Uh, because I think there are pros for doing both. Uh, because of the 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 library episode acts as a transition between acts as a transition to like a pretty significant beach in Avatar, which is Appa getting kidnapped. Yeah. And so it feels like if we did it as oh it's happening during season two of the show uh it would feel weird to have another mystery going on uh and then pascal just not being around just like popping out instead of helping to deal with the situation which would then never really get him stuck in the rest of the plot of avatar yeah uh, so putting it afterwards would uh so putting afterwards would make uh, the departure easier to integrate essentially mm -hmm. but also if you put it afterwards uh, some of the reasoning is a little flimsier because uh, for people who don't remember uh, for the library the one of the ways that it gains text is that there's a series of special foxes that go around collecting stuff and then bringing it back to the library, which is why the fox poaching stuff from earlier leads into it. Mm -hmm. But also the library did kind of get destroyed at the end of that episode. So it's a little flimsy whether or not the foxes would even be useful for that kind of a thing in the first place. So... What could so be, what are your thoughts? Well, what could be an interesting way to deal with actually best of both worlds and hear me out on this because this right. sounds kind of crazy, but this would give us the best of both worlds with not conflicting with the main with with like that major plot point in the Avatar show and also, you know, having the continuity of the library still being around. What if it took place? before the show. Ooh. And either... Like, they wouldn't encounter the main characters of the... Pascal and... Pascal, Maverick, and Sheen would not encounter the main characters of the show, per se, but either Aang before he runs off, um, or Avatar Roku. Ooh. Which would be interesting. And also, like... Have... Ooh! Ooh! I have a really... Oh, yes, I actually have a really cool idea for this now. Because having it take place before the show could also, like... We could kind of do like an interesting thing where they inadvertently influence the events of the show mm -hmm. by their presence there because perhaps the main like 
either someone aiding the main villain or someone who is accused of poaching the foxes is like a prominent member of the fire nation and like this part part of that could like helps influence like animosity with the fire nation against yeah. other kingdoms yeah that could be an interesting way which i'm trying to remember if there well now i'm trying to remember what the in universe explanation for the fire nation turning evil is is it was it uh the, the the cliff notes is just imperialism basically uh the the longer form reasoning that the fire lord at the time tried to give was that he wanted to essentially quote share uh the prosperity of the fire nation with the rest of the world by taking over the rest of the world and basically forcing that prosperity onto them mm. that was the rationalization that he used when he and Roku fought the first time. Yeah. Uh Yeah, okay. So Yeah, we could still make that work within this context. I'm trying to think of like exactly how to like not completely retcon that, but also do our own fun little like semi rewrite. Um, in, in all fairness, like it, uh, that motive kind of switches to reasonably not just pure animosity, but like it becomes a lot more malicious later on. So we just said it after that beat in yeah. the backstory, it can still probably be generally fine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, so w with that in mind, Roku would still be the avatar when we set this, you think? I think so. Yeah. I'm not just mentioning a side thing because, like, the Nickelodeon stuff crossed over quite a bit in various contexts, so it'd be, I'm not just matching a joke of... Sheen going, oh yeah, I know about the Avatar, and then getting confused when it's Roku and not Aang. Oh yeah! <laughs> I didn't even... Oh wait, I'm now I'm trying to think if Sheen and Aang have actually met in the games. Because I don't I, know. You'd know more than I do, but I have... But I, I think like it would, if they haven't, it would work well enough if just like it was like, oh, Jimmy told me about this Avatar person or something like that. Yeah, because I know... I know Aang appeared in some of the crossover games, but I, but the height of the crossover games, I feel like was before Avatar was, I forgot they put Avatar in Brawlhalla. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a thing if you didn't know. Um, uh, Aang, Toph, and Zuko are all playable in Brawlhalla now. Um, or are going to be. Um, uh, okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Actually, the only... It looks like the only console 
at, le- at least from what, yeah, cartoon crossover. I'm on the cartoon crossover wiki for Avatar. Um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll count Super Brawl as canon to make that joke work. Is that the that's, browser fighting yes, game? Yes, that is the browser okay. fighting that, game. I'm going to be honest, that was the one I remember doing a crossover with Avatar yeah. from. Yes, otherwise the only the only other game I think oh wait. Oh fuck. I don't know if Aang has met Sheen, but he has met Ultra Lord. Because <laughs> they're both in Nicktoons MLB. <laughs> um so make of that what you will. Um brilliant. Uh wait. Fuck. What? I just remember another instance of a crossover that Sheen could have heard about. Oh <laughs> like in his but with Hugh Neutron. Oh yeah, Hugh Neutron in, in All-Star Brawl, yeah, yeah, of course. Um Yeah, I mean The turtles could also like theoretically know. Oh, yeah, true. Ang, so they could that um maybe there could be some sort of transition where like um I don't know. See, I also had the idea of like each universe that you travel to having like a representative within the multiversal detective agency. Mm-hmm. So like April would be one for the Ninja Turtles universe. Um, basically, whoever you partner up with in the said universe would be a representative of the Multiversal Detective Agency. I'm trying to think what what character would work for... Now, it's hard because we're limiting ourselves so, to, to the backstory. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> uh... So like, yeah, that that that. It feels with, like it would almost have to be Roku just for lack of options. Yeah, uh, which is a shame because like I, if, if this were set during the show or after, I would one hundred percent want to make it Sokka. Oh, same here. Yeah. Um, so- Sokka is the the choice for during or shortly after the show. Well, actually, given that we're dealing with like multiverse stuff already, we, we theoretically <laughs> incorporate time travel just to include Sokka, but like have him be in disguise. Ooh, cool idea. Ooh, what if he's in disguise as like the Blue Devil? <laughs> the Blue Spirit? Yeah, the blue spirit that Zuko <laughs> disguises himself. So it sets up the expectation that it's Zuko time trap or or that like he inherited the mask from some and there could be- I, I love the I prefer the idea that it's like a poor imitation of the mask. Because I don't know if Sokka ever saw the blue spirit mask himself, but he would have heard about it. I feel like he oh wait, no, maybe not. Because Zuko only wore it to rescue Aang. Um, 
and then later around the time Appa was being rescued. Yeah. And just generally in the capital. Um Yeah, I oh man. Yeah, now I'm I'm trying to work my brain or like uh but like there were wanted, there, I'm pretty sure there were wanted posters or something for the Blue Spirit at some point. So like we could have maybe seen it from that. Yeah, and like another like inadvertent thing, like maybe like he leaves the mask behind, and <laughs> like that's where Zuko gets it in like a hundred plus years. That could be fun. Um. So. Um, this is just like, okay, but like, okay, wait, so now I'm trying to think of like how Zuka or how Sokka rather would have access to time travel and why he would be going back in the first place. Well, as a member of the agency, he may have been referred to the shenanigans that Pascal is going on. Uh, because is he, because it's technically as part of the Avatar universe, it's technically his domain. Yeah, and so they, <sighs> yeah. So Sokka is sensibly there to try to keep them from fucking up the timeline. I also like that this also and also wait. He could purposefully falsely accuse a Fire Nation member to make sure that the timeline still allows for the Fire Nation to attack because that needs to happen in the timeline. So, like, even though he could prevent the war, he has to make, sure, to it make sure it happens. Which is funny because I came up with another really cool moral dilemma like that for when we develop the the Titanic. Ooh. Which I'm, I'm, you I'm probably presuming, guess what that yeah, moral dilemma the, would be. <laughs> um, well, well, it's clearly whether or not well, clearly the moral dilemma is what band, what song the band should be singing while the Titanic is sinking. Uh, um... But yeah, um, so, and that also helping establish that time travel is a thing does help make the Titanic world make more sense. Um, yeah. so yeah, so we established that time travel is a thing, but we don't reveal yet. That's, we just see you, you partner up with. Um, this mysterious uh, figure wearing the blue spirit mask. Yes, a character disguise, a character wearing this blue spirit mask. Um, wait and, a second. Wait a second. If he, okay, I don't think. No, no, he would. Sorry, I was thinking briefly whether or not he would have the opportunity to know that Zuko was the blue spirit. I'm just imagining him doing like a bad Zuko impression the whole time. Well, I mean, the Blue Spirit, he, Zuko never talked as the Blue Spirit. I know, but Sokka doesn't know that. Yeah, that's true. I don't know that's a detail that anyone would have mentioned to him, I mean, the Blue Spirit doesn't the say The thing anything. is, it, it doesn't matter. It could just be Sokka putting on, like, a gruff voice to disguise himself, and, like, the audience expectation is that it's Zuko disguising himself. 
Fair enough. Um. Uh, so <laughs> I love I love how I I was a little worried that our plot was getting too simple. <laughs> to be a Kingdom Hearts <laughs> killer. And this world alone dissuages that worry. Well, we've introduced time travel just to have Zuko around. Just, just Fuck. have Sokka Fuck. Fuck. pretend to be Zuko. <laughs> just have Sokka disguised as Zuko in disguise. <laughs> um, And so, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, and obviously, like, yeah, these guys wouldn't know who Sokka, like, I I can almost guarantee there has not been a an interaction between Sheen and Sokka in any of the crossover games as much yeah. as much as that would be delightful. That would be a great interaction, um, yeah. So yeah, so that's our they, so yeah, they they the multiversal detective agency sends Sokka, disguised as the Blue Spirit, back in time, like a hundred twelve years or whatever, account for Aang being born. Um. Uh, and, um. So you are accompanied by the blue spirit in investigating this. Um and Ooh, this this will be interesting because like Avatar Roku will be in a position where again, at this point, animosity is kind of already growing against between the Fire Nation and the other three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Avatar Roku does his best to try to, you know, calm that. But, you know, Sokka knowing that, you know, they can't disrupt the timeline and they need to keep make sure the war still happens accuses like a, a general like like let's say that this <clears throat> this season this timeline this time period's equivalent to general zhao uh let's say uh we don't have to give him a name or anything well we could also do like obviously general zhao's grandfather or something yeah yeah like yeah like yeah uh, like an ancestor to general zhao um we could even come up with a phoenix wright-esque uh pun name for him if we wanted that also made sense within the avatar universe but doesn't have to make sense within the avatar universe because this is an oc who cares um so that is who is accused and then um Ooh, what what could be interesting? Because again, we don't want to reveal the identity of the the main villain of the game yet. They find enough evidence that that general is actually working with the villain 
do we do okay do we want the general to actually be working with the villain or do we want it to be a situation where like they have to accuse him because the villain is nowhere to be found and because the true mastermind is nowhere to be found like the last case and there is enough evidence planted by the main villain for this general to be in on it uh and then later find out that the general was not in on it at all do we want to go that route or do we want the general to be in on it I kind of like the I, idea. I'm a little torn because I just thought of an idea that could be fun for a twist. Okay. Go g- pitch it. Because if it's the, the general has been framed, not framed, but if the general has been falsely accused, mm-hmm. important distinction. Uh, then it's a question of okay, whoever the mysterious figure is, whoever our mysterious figure is, uh, would need to have almost certainly some connection. Sorry, I sh- just in my elbow and I'm poking my headphones. Uh, <laughs> uh, would have to have some connection in the world to be able to do the things that he's doing in it. So it'd have to be somebody. Uh, so, like, for the sake of what we're doing, it has to be someone of note. What if it's Sozin? Oh, I see. Like, so they. <clears throat> but so you're you're not suggesting that Sozin is like the main villain of the game, right? Not not of the game, just like okay. working with the main villain. Okay, I like that. Yes, I like I like that a lot. Actually, I I do like Sozin being in on it because, yeah, that. That gives us room to explore that character in an interesting way, yeah. and that... you can have like one of the reasons that he like he is even working with the our mysterious figures that the mysterious figures promising to help him with the upcoming war effort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I like that. Yeah. So, so yeah, Sozin frames a general, um, while in the fire nation um which is interesting because then it it's like sozin is also that 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 isn't is such an interesting dynamic because that also implies that sozin is deliberately trying to instill distrust in the fire nation or is that we're going to frame it as uh or inadvertently does so. Yeah, wants to like. In, sorry, just more specifically, he wants to increase animosity between the kingdoms, but doesn't want to specifically take the fall for it because, like, if it because that could undermine him in some way. Like, if it's spread throughout the if the animosity is spread throughout the Fire Nation, it's a better. It could be in his mind a better work as a better justification for the people to be in favor of starting the war whereas if it's just all on his head maybe that's just an excuse to out him or something yep um yeah oh, or, 
ooh, ooh. Or maybe more specifically, uh, he frames somebody else because he doesn't want Roku finding out because Roku will just deal with him. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Um. Yeah, so, so like, the idea would be by the end of this chapter, Sozin is not caught. Yeah. Uh, we only find out later on that Sozin was working with the uh, main villain of the game. Ooh, that's so interesting. Ooh, because then it's like, oh, like this general has been accused. And then it's like, oh, as you find more evidence, well, yeah, it's obvious someone from the Fire Nation was in on this. And all evidence seems to lead to the general. And so you just have to say, all right, I guess the general is the one in on it. Ooh. Ooh. Another subtle alternative we could do with the general situation is maybe the general is trying to take the fall for it to protect Sozin. Uh, uh ooh. Because that happens a few times in, like, Phoenix Wright, for example, where someone tries to confess to a crime because they think somebody else would be incriminated by something going on. I like that, but I I want it to be, like, basically, a, like, a dub, like, a triple cross, where, like, he is trying to defend himself at the beginning, and then once they find all this evidence, then he finally confesses. Or confesses in quotes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I like that a little better, actually. Yeah. Because it's like, which makes it such an interesting situation because Sokka wants to make sure that the war still happens and so is willing to go along with accusing this general of the Fire Nation to instill that animosity Roku wants to calm it. And, like, Pascal and the others just want to find the truth and think they do. Yeah. But it's all <clears throat> part of the plan of Sozin and the main villain for this general to take the fall, to instill animosity, and also go along with whatever the main villain's master plan is. Um, which uh, obviously has to deal with, you know, getting the the books and whatnot. Um, I also like the idea, like, because I mentioned, like, ending each chapter with, like, a, a Marvel versus Capcom style, like, 3v3 fight. I like the idea of the, the, the owl guardian of the library being one of your opponents. <laughs> um... Because it's like, oh, you spent so much time on this investigation that, like, the books got taken anyway. Uh, and now he's mad at you for failing to protect his library, essentially. Yeah, and so it's like him, and then, like... I guess the general wouldn't be fighting at this point, because he would be confessing. 
And he certainly wouldn't be fighting alongside the owl guardian of the library, which I forget the name. I'm pretty sure it's just the name of whatever the yeah. library was that I looked up, but X'd out of because I was looking at to find if Aang was in any of the Nicktoons crossover games. Um, <clears throat> Maybe... So do we want to just bring in M. Bison and Shredder and like have that? That's, that's certainly a thing we could do and certainly be fun, but like to like try and like pay off a little bit more of the conflict of motivations, maybe we could have like essentially Roku fighting with the owl. So on the owl side, I mean. Oh, okay. So it, like in the library we could learn like he could learn that uh our mysterious blue spirit figure uh wants to ensure the coming war, but Roku still is committed to ensuring peace. That's that's so interesting to A fight an avatar in chapter two and B have them technically be the good guys that you're fighting. Yeah. And also as the I've forgotten the term, but as man in charge of relationships between human and spirit realm, he had a further motivation to try and slightly further motivation to get essentially strong armed into fighting alongside the owl specifically. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and then for the third character, do we just throw in M. Bison and be uh, like, yeah, I'll get in on this shit. Shredder and Bison, yeah. That <laughs> yeah so, so the the owl, Roku, and M. Bison uh are are the three opponents and like maybe like i don't know like make it like cool like m bison's like psi power or whatever is like in this universe he channels it as like firebending or something i don't know Maybe fun. Which is super yeah. like dumb but like m bison's yeah. role in this is to be a dope <laughs> villain so yeah. it works um, yeah, okay. And now I'm just imagining, like, Sokka as the blue spirit fighting Roku, and at some point, like, Roku's saying that he, like, for someone who, for a non-better, he fights an avatar really well, uh, and Sokka basically saying that he's a lot, a lot of experience watching avatars fight. Oh, fuck yeah, I love that, and that still contributes to the idea that it could be Zuko. Yeah. The disguise. Oh, I love that. Okay. Wow. Yeah. No, we just came up with such a convoluted <laughs> for that Avatar chapter, but I love it. Baby. Um. Okay. Now. Uh, we we already know what our next chapter is going to be. It's the Titanic one, and by the time we do the live stream episode, I'll actually watch Titanic. But, <laughs> um. The so the higher ups are a little mad with us for taking so long to develop this story. As I mentioned, like in, in my pitch earlier, like oh, develop the rest of the story on on the live stream for episode 50. Um mm -hmm. so obviously that's a lot of story we still have to develop. And I was a little concerned we wouldn't be able to develop it all in the next episode. Uh, and then the higher-ups were like, uh, no, you have to, because we generated so much excitement for this early on that they want to release this in February. 
um, th- this game. They want to release. Oh, gee, the- I feel really bad for the programmers and our team. <laughs> yeah. Um. Thankfully, they they've already pretty much finished the first level. I guess that's good chapter. Um, and because this is a an Ace Attorney game with like light fighting game elements, it shouldn't take that much work to program the rest compared to like a typical AAA game. Uh so yeah, we'll see. Ho- hopefully, we don't you know we don't scarlet and violet this shit. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but they do want us to have like an outline for where we're going so that um the developers can gather assets so we're actually going to come up with the uh subjects of the remaining chapters now all right so first off i i don't know if i ever mentioned this to you uh but so I I understand that typically an Ace Attorney game has like four to five chapters. Yes. Okay. So they they envision a lot of these they they envision these chapters playing out somewhat shorter than a typical Ace Attorney chapter, and thus um want to have more to extend the game and also to take advantage of more uh, various IPs. Obviously, yeah. Uh, So, a total of seven worlds they want us to develop. So that means we're going to be developing five worlds uh, during episode 50. I'm feeling Um, bad for the development team again. uh, One of them being a mini... One of them they describe as being like a mini world, um, where it's like... Basically, they want to have some, like, uh, they want a shorter level uh, either in the middle of the game or at the end as, like, a bonus case um, to promote something exclusive to Paramount+. Plus. Um, And I think we could go either way with this, but the way I envisioned it is that we could have this bonus level follow Red Hondeed um, before the events of the game uh, and also use that to introduce the character that will eventually be revealed as the main villain. All right. Um, The question is, so this would be then... It uh it takes place like chronologically it takes place before the rest of the game, but it would you would play it after the Titanic world. Um so the question is which Paramount Plus exclusive show or movie do we make a world around? Uh I have written down uh some examples of paramount plus exclusives here um first off uh there are various star trek series that are exclusive to paramount plus discovery picard and strange new worlds um there was technically this was back when cbs all access was a thing but that kind of got all roped into paramount plus yeah uh, so I have the Twilight Zone reboot written down here as well. 
Um, we have Halo. Uh, we have the iCarly revival. We have the Fairly Odd Parents revival. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. We have the Rugrats revival. I super forgot about that. Jesus. Yeah. We have Camp Coral. We have The Offer, which is the series about the making of The Godfather. Technically, we have the Tony Awards. Because <laughs> they they did a special deal where, I mean, they broadcast on live on TV as well, but they also were broadcast live on Paramount+. Plus, and they had a Paramount Plus exclusive pre-show. Um... Oh God, I feel like it'd be really funny to do just the Tony Awards. Which, granted, for like a bonus, ca- that could, I, we could make that work, is the thing. Because I also like, I like the idea of having like a musical themed world, like how the original Kingdom Hearts had the Little Mermaid. Uh, True. That was True. a rhythm game for some reason. Um, And there's plenty of, I, we don't necessarily have to base it off of this year's Tonys, we can incorporate elements from other Paramount-owned musicals, such as Grease. Uh, um, which also counts as a Paramount Plus exclusive because they're working on the prequel series, uh, Grease, Rise of the Pink Ladies. Uh, there's also My Fair Lady, Chicago, Footloose, Mean Girls, technically, um, Rocket Man, technically, School of Rock, um Sweeney Todd Popeye technically <laughs> uh because there was that live action Popeye musical starring Robin Williams right, yeah um Saturday Night Fever Flashdance Dreamgirls so yeah we could we could do that uh do we just want to do that do we want to I, I, I kind of just want to do that for our extra case yeah all right so we yeah so the the Tonys. <laughs> That's also such a great juxtaposition doing that immediately after the Titanic world. Um after that, um okay, so for so that would technically be like chapter four, but it would be a smaller chapter. Uh so for chapters five and six. Um, one of them is just a free choice for us. Oh, also, we can incorporate SpongeBob into the Tonys too, because the SpongeBob. Oh, yeah, movie. true. Um, uh, so one of these worlds will be a free choice for us. The other, they want to have a horror themed world. Um, and we can choose which order we do those in, um, depending on what we think the juxtaposition would would be good here. Uh, so, and I have written down Paramount owned horror franchises as well. We have uh, Scream, uh, which, I mean, immediately that one's super easy to do like a mystery world out of but if we want to do something different i'll list the others uh we have a quiet place we have paranormal activity we have the ring we have psycho 
we have Pet Cemetery, we have Annihilation, we have Cloverfield, we have the aforementioned Sweeney Todd. We have that spontaneous movie. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh we have scary movie. <laughs> because of Miramax. And we have Orphan, which is a more recent uh franchise that just got a sequel, actually also exclusive to Paramount Plus. Okay, could you send me a list? A link to the list? Oh shit. Uh, if it's not a link, could you like copy paste it in Discord, um, I guess? I'm gonna send you a picture of my notebook. That that works. Okay. Um, I'm having trouble pulling up a list. Yeah, again, of I I have my preference, but I want I I I would like your uh input if you uh are particularly drawn to something because this is a collaborative effort after all. I texted you. Okay. Just for clarification. Okay, there's certainly a number of good options in here. Mm -hmm. One that I think would just flat out not work is Paranormal Activity. Yeah, probably. Because like, because like, I also don't to do like that <laughs> meaningful, and like to do that meaningfully, we would have to have like a found footage element to it. And I don't know how we would do that in a in this kind of in this thing, unless we were literally just ripping off Five Nights at Freddy's. <laughs> <laughs> um, which he deserves. <laughs> um. Yeah. Uh, but uh, no. Um, Annihilation is interesting. But I yeah, don't know how that well one that is works. interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually have the book for that. Oh yeah, yeah. I, have you watched the movie? Oh, uh, I have not, but I did for my one uh, of the film class. Okay, yeah. One of the YouTubers that I watch uh, has a video that I occasionally just like go back to watch because it's a good video. Uh, that's essentially talking about essentially using Annihilation to complain about people being overly literal with the plots of movies and stuff when the movies are trying to use metaphor in their plot. Yeah. Yeah, so I know a number of the general beats about that. Don't know if that would work for here, though. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, personally, I... My 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 thought is immediately scream. Uh because those are already whodunits. And we can have fun with that. True. If they're they're very they have a very simple formula that would work very well for what we're doing. Yeah. Um now the question is, do we want that to be chapter five or chapter six? And then which uh, free choice, be whatever Paramount property we want to make a world for that we haven't yet. Uh, do we want Let, to be the other? Okay, let's figure out the free choice before we decide what order things are going to go with. Fair enough. Uh, do you have any that immediately jump out to you that we've talked about uh, in the past that we haven't, you know, done a, an official world for? Unfortunately, no. 
Uh, cause I know, uh, again, we could, we could incorporate SpongeBob into the Tony's one, but like SpongeBob seems like an obvious choice. It does. That's fair. Do something with, um, otherwise, what was I looking at my list? What was, what else was I looking at for, um, if we do the Tony Awards, then SpongeBob, then Scream, we could have SpongeBob in Oh, wait, no, it's a prequel. Never mind. Shit. Uh, what? We can have SpongeBob be the transition, essentially. Uh, like, Well, we could still make that work within the, the story, because, like, he could talk about, like... No, now I'm just thinking of something terrible. Like, the Titanic sinks, they meet SpongeBob, we flash back to Red meeting SpongeBob, and then they go to the SpongeBob world. <laughs> You know, I don't hate that idea. I don't hate that idea. Oh, all right. Uh, the the dogs want food. You guys want food? All right. I got I got to feed the dog. I'm still so, but like, so then I hope you can still hear me over the. Um, I can. Uh, so, then... Yeah, I was imagining the fucking whiplash and tone of the Titanic scenes, it's the darkest hour, everyone's sad, uh, and then fucking Spongebob walks in from camera left. <laughs> yeah. Um... Well, and it could also be an interesting parallel for the beginning of the game because it could sink, like, into the portal to Bikini Bottom just as they drove the boat into the portal that led to the TMNT universe at the beginning of the game. True. That, that, that were, so that's an interesting were, visual, uh, you know, parallel. Um, oh, and I think... And could we also, like, shift the metaphorical one, meaning of it potentially where it's... One sec. I think... Yeah. I, uh, my parents are good. I, I just got to pause quick. Uh, Zoom recording. All right, I'm back. Uh, So, so yeah. sorry, and then I was thinking, like, to jump back into where we were, I was thinking, like, the boat going into the portal thing could have a interesting additional metaphorical meaning because the first time Pascal deliberately drove into it, but this time it's more he's falling into something out of his control. Yeah, I like, yes, I like that a lot. Um, this also gives us an interesting, uh, structuring this uh, is interesting because then, uh, after Spongebob, the last two worlds will both be whodunits, which is interesting because we've shied away from that so far. Yeah. Uh, and I say the last two because... The higher-ups have already mandated what the last world is going to be. And the last world will be based on Clue the movie. <laughs> Perfect. So... Oh, I like that. Yeah. So, this, which... I, I mean, I think this is overall a really good uh, roundup for, like, yeah. representing Paramount Properties, because we started with TMNT... Then, you know, Avatar, which we developed today. Then Titanic. Uh, then the Tonys, uh, which will feature various Paramount properties, I'm sure. 
uh, then SpongeBob, then Scream, and then Clue. This this is uh this is gonna be a fun uh this is gonna be a fun uh little thing uh and we'll develop all those remaining worlds next time yeah. uh but you know uh in the time uh you know uh before then we have a film to talk about from the day he was born he was robert Alive! It's alive! It's alive! For me, though, I could fucking tell my life story. Here we go. Really? At age six, I was born without a face. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, of course, as mentioned earlier, uh, this year, this episode for the film's The Years of Our Lives Challenge, it was my pick for 2018, and I chose Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. And it's kind of okay that we're going over time a little bit, because I honestly don't anticipate this being a super long discussion. Mm. Um, uh, basic plot summary of Mamma Mia, Here We Go Again. Half of the film takes place five years after the original. Um, Donna has died off screen and Sophie is reopening the hotel in her honor. Um, and, you know, has some issues with her boyfriend Sky and with weather, like the actual Sky. Um, <laughs> uh, but in the end, it all works out. And the, and also she is pregnant. It, she she finds out she's pregnant, and at the end of the movie, we see her baby. Um, and then the other half of the movie takes place, uh, and it go it switches back and forth between these two time periods. Uh, takes place in 1979, following a young Donna, uh, played by Lily James, as she, you know, meets, encounters in multiple ways um the three men that are uh Sophie's fathers quote unquote um and uh yeah basically just showing how she met them and like you know her interactions with them uh as she ventures off to this greek island where she starts this hotel um and yeah that's pretty much it for plot um uh initial thoughts on the movie uh jacob why don't you go first because i've talked a lot uh it's a little hard to express my initial thoughts in words i had an initial initial thought and then realized it was really mean at and I don't want to be mean to this movie because, like, whatever. But, like, <clears throat> I guess we're going with this. It's kind of 
the fast food sandwich joint of movies. Elaborate. Uh, inoffensive and not like it, and it's not like terrible for you, but it also is a little meaningless and goes right through you. Yeah, no, that pretty much that sums it up very well. I think. Um, my initial thoughts. Um, I actually so, so I re I rewatched it before we um right right before we uh recorded this as Jacob was watching it as well on his own time. Um, but my first watch of this was back in May, and I watched it with my mom and sister, and it's interesting because my sister likes this movie better than the first one, mm-hmm. which I do not understand. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, again, it, this isn't terrible by any means, but it is definitely worse than the first one, in my opinion. Yeah, um, I agree with you there. And we'll get into, you know, the meat and potatoes of why here. Um, I mean, yeah, uh, I guess going into more detail, um, my main, I guess my main gripe with this movie is that it takes itself too seriously. Like the first one is stupid. Like mm. the first one is stupid. It's trying to, you're trying to make a plot out of ABBA songs. I mean, but it's also kind of aware with that it felt. Exactly. Exactly. It It is aware that it is cheesy and like embraces it whereas this one is trying because like the story of the first one is ridiculous because it's like oh one of these three men is my father so i'm inviting all of them to my (laughs) wedding to figure out which one it is um whereas this one is and i guess i get and i'm actually using my sister's argument for why she likes this one more as an argument against it um because this one's more heartfelt and it like sometimes it works but a lot of times it just doesn't yeah because i don't care about the plot (laughs) yeah which is like i'm gonna go one further with you on the not caring about the plot and say it's hard to care about the plot when there really isn't one yeah that's like the this like there is ostensibly a central conflict but it's not treated as a central conflict it ends like halfway through the movie it feels like and then it just keeps going for a while yeah yeah because the present day timeline is like meaningless like and then the plot and and then the the past is also meaningless because it's a prequel plot line we know what happens and it's just going to end up alone on an island working with the hotel but here's the thing with the setup of the first one you could have made a prequel now granted maybe people wouldn't have liked this but like i figured when i heard this was a prequel that Oh, we'll get to definitively figure out which man is Sophie's father. No. <laughs> the, the first, like, the, the prequel stuff gives us zero new information. Like, 
Like, at least the Star Wars prequels gave us new information about shit. Yeah. For better and for worse. Um, This one just... Here, I think the only new information that we get is that she met most of the... She with the three guys before even getting to the island in the first place and then doing her one-night stand with them. Literally, all the information that is given in the prequel plot is given in the first song of the first movie. Yeah. Like, literally all of But here's the weird thing, is that the prequel part is also more entertaining. Yeah. And I, a large part of that is due to Lily James as young Donna, I think. Because we talked about this in the previous... When we talked about the previous movie, some of these actors can sing. And then there's Meryl Streep and Pierce Brosnan. <laughs> Um, which gracefully only have a song each in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also definitely did not need the song with Meryl Streep at the end. Um, yeah, I'm. I have. I watched this movie two hours ago. I've already forgotten what the setup for that song was. I know everyone was there in a space together. I could not tell you why. I, Sophie had just given birth and she feels more connected to her mom than she ever had. And no, I, I know why, like, sh- she appears in the song. I don't know why everyone else is there. I don't know what the event they've all shown up for is. A really punctual baby shower? I don't know. Oh, wait a second. Wait a second. Because there's that... They have a big old, really fancy pot of something in front. Is that supposed to be a baptism? Oh, that's probably it, yeah. That's probably Mm. exactly it. Fair enough, I guess. Um, Yeah, because it shows young Donna in the same location uh, before it transitions to showing uh, Meryl Streep Donna. Um... Um, yeah, it's also, also the, the casting in, in the seven for the young cast is very interesting because yeah, Lily James could sing like, she's probably the best Mm -hmm. singer in this movie. Uh, she looks nothing like Meryl Streep. (laughs) In contrast, the two friends look identical. Yeah. To their older counterparts. It, like, the the casting for those two is insanely good. Like, I, I, need, I need to actually look up the actresses' names because I want to give them credit where credit is due because, like, also they just nailed the personalities of the characters, too. Yeah. Like, um, they definitely felt like the younger versions of the characters we saw in the first movie. Yeah, especially um, young... Credit to that. Um, Young Tanya, the the Christine Baranski character, who is played... So, Young Tanya is played by Jessica Keenan Wynn, and Young Rosie is played by Alexa Davies. Uh, yeah, both of them are just killing it, honestly. I'll swing you casting. Who plays the grandmother? Cher. Ah, okay. Because I was wondering, because, like... Which tells I, you... I, I knew immediately, like, with, like, all the setup for that, that, okay... Whoever this person, whoever they have playing this person is very, like, obviously going to be 
the telegraphing for the character's appearance and their setup early in the movie struck me as okay, whoever's playing this character is going to be somebody that the audience is going to be expected to know. And then she showed up, and I went, I do not know who this person is off the top of my head. Yeah, Cher's inclusion was, I, I believe she was in the trailers, even though that's that is framed like a big reveal. Um, like she was in the trailers, she was in the marketing, like they they wrote that part for Cher. Um, and like to, to get people talking about the movie, like, oh, Cher's gonna be in it and sing ABBA. That's awesome. I hate Cher in this movie. <laughs> I, look, there plenty of people, I, I get it. Like, there are a lot of people who are big fans of Cher. Um, and she is an Oscar winning actress. Uh, it, I mean, she's primarily a singer, but she did. I believe I believe she won an Oscar for Moonstruck. Um, now I got to double check that. Um, she was definitely nominated at the very least for Moonstruck, um, which she also was in with. I believe Nicolas Cage was also in that movie with her. Hmm. Um, so uh, fun. Yes, she she won the Oscar for Best Actress. And I want to say Nick Cage was also not... No, he wasn't nominated. Okay. Um, or no, maybe he was. It won three Oscar. Wow, okay. No, he was not nominated. But it was nominated for Best Picture. Uh, it was nominated for a lot. It Yeah, Cher won Best Actress. Olympia Dukakis won Best Supporting Actress. And... Uh, John Patrick Shanley won Best Original Screenplay. Um, anyway, tangent there. Um, yeah, no, Cher... Like, it's so clear that, it, like... Like, even for, like, you not knowing Cher, like, you could tell that... It, again, you could tell that it was, like, a gimmick casting. yeah. And yeah. her, she also contributes absolutely nothing to the plot. Yeah. Although... She is only there to, like... Well, then again, a lot of characters don't exactly contribute a lot to the plot, but even more so her, her yeah. Yeah, there, there's, like... She's only there, like, as, like, a hollow parallel to... Like, her relationship with Donna is a hollow parallel to Donna's relationship with Sophie. Kind of. Because both... Because because at the beginning, like, in the prequel stuff, um, Donna is talking about her mom, like, always being away on Twitter. And it's, it's implied that um, her mom also slept around a lot. Mm -hmm. Um... At which is yeah, you know, we get that payoff with Fernando. <laughs> um, I say payoff in quotes. Um, uh, I will. I, I would argue that it's a payoff because, like, Fernando as a character felt kind of out of out of place and like he was leading up to some kind of a thing. Because it's an Andy Garcia appears for less than three percent of the movie cliche. Yeah. yeah. Um. <laughs> Which, so like, it, I, I watched the, the CinemaSins video on this, and they pointed so that like, out. Like, Damn, you're right. That is, 
I mean, I've seen it. So like when, so like when we got to like their musical number, I went, oh, that's why she's here. Okay. Yeah, and you know, obvious, you know, because Abba had a song called Fernando, oh, yeah. they put in a character called Fernando to make that work. No, um, I, I mean, I did the same thing with Joe. as did I with what Sarah said. Yeah. Um, and Kath. Uh, yeah which is why the anyway yeah i mean it, it's it helps when naming characters like most it definitely people, does yeah again like half my characters names were taken from dance in the dark <laughs> and jude is a character in across the universe so yeah it's it's not uncommon for um for jukebox musicals to just take their characters names directly from songs um Anyway, um, yeah, I don't like sharing this. Uh, also, I I did have one comment I wanted another comment I wanted to make about the 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 younger cast, um, because when I was watching this, um, I will admit when when the first guy showed up, the the one she sings Waterloo with, mm-hmm. um, I. Wasn't sure if it was Pierce Brosnan or Colin Firth. Um, but when Bill showed up, the guy on the phone, <laughs> I knew immediately that was a scars guard, and that's unfortunately not a compliment. Because <laughs> <laughs> like I knew, oh yeah, he's the one played by Stellan Skarsgard. Because <laughs> he's the less handsome one. Um Speaking of though of Colin Firth and Stellan Skarsgård and Meryl Streep for that matter, it is so clear that like they wrote this movie not being able to get those actors for more than like a couple. For I mean, Meryl Streep was probably there for a day. Um, I would guess, and Colin Firth and Stellan Skarsgård not much longer. Yeah. Frankly, I assumed that they weren't going to... At the beginning, I just assumed that they couldn't get them back at all. Yeah, no, that's what I assumed, too. But I was like, no, wait, they're on the poster. (laughs) And then then the plot of the... And then a big part of the plot in the middle of the movie is them turning up anyway. Yeah. I... Also, I I wanted to bring that up because I wanted to bring up uh, the the meeting with Colin Firth's character, Harry, because he's having a business meeting in Japan. And I only Mm. want to bring this up because there was a JoJo's Bizarre Adventure uh, advertisement. (laughs) Damn it, I missed it. Oh, yeah, it was right below the Naruto one. Ah. I I didn't notice it my first watch through. I only noticed it this second watch through. Um, I was like, oh, shit. Nice. Which is especially funny because JoJo's was the last movie we watched. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um. Um. I was gonna say. I was say. Well, I guess that means the next movie I pick must has to reference Mamma Mia somehow. And then I thought about what movie I picked, <laughs> and I went, "Oh, that'd be actually kind of weird if that referenced Mamma Mia." <laughs> oh, I know you. You gave me a couple. Uh, you you gave me a couple. You were thinking of, but I don't know. I, I settled on one. It's going to be a bit of an adventure for me to track down what I need to watch for that one. But okay, 
No, we we can work. That. I think you should be fine. I'm guessing. Well, I'm guessing since we're gonna do the live stream anyway and cover the next four all in a row, that we might as well just do a marathon like we did the last time. We yeah, that's that fair. Marathon. That's fair. That would no, that make it easy for both of us. Although to get back, although as a hint for you, if you want to pick, I will need to finish a movie before we do the marathon. Oh, I know what you picked. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I know what you picked. Um. I'm also down to just rewatch that one with you because that movie's fucking great. Um, Fair enough. Um, although if we're do- although like a four movie marathon is already a lot. I don't know if I watch it. Yeah, never mind. Let's not because also that movie is long. <laughs> that that particular movie I know is long. Thankfully, I already cut. Ca- I think I already know what I want to pick for my remaining two, and I I'm guessing they're both relatively short. So. Um, just because of what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, um, oh, oh, um, obviously we can't talk about this movie without talking about the music, and it's so clear that they ran out of popular ABBA songs, because <laughs> yeah. it's not super popular. <laughs> they had, like, two hits, and they both played in both movies. Yeah. Um... But, like, the fact that the first song they sing in this movie is When I Kissed the Teacher should tell you all you need to know. Yeah. I mean, like, they were fun for the most part, but, like... Yeah. I will say, one triumph this movie has over the original is that the... I think this movie makes a better use of Mamma Mia. The song. Same here, yeah. Because in the first one, it just kind of came out of nowhere, and also it was Meryl Streep singing. Um, I'm sorry to keep dogging on Meryl Streep, <laughs> but like, she, she's not a great singer. They need to stop casting her in musicals, because she's also in Into the Woods. <laughs> um, but um, this one, it comes at a very emotional part in the story for young donna because she just found out that uh the the young pierce brosnan character sam uh was engaged to another woman and so she's like oh i don't think i can sing about love right now and then rosie's like we'll sing about what you are feeling and then she starts acapella with mama mia um and then the band and the other two girls come in and it's really fun. It's, yeah. it's it, I like this. This it felt like a bigger moment than the use of Mamma Mia in the original movie. Yeah. Um. Whereas Dancing Queen is pretty much a copy paste. It's <laughs> Dancing Queen sequence. Um. And not many of the other performances are really that memorable, honestly. And I'm saying that having just watched the film again. Um, but like, I mean, when I kiss the teacher is memorable, but not for the right reason. Yeah. It's like, oh, you shouldn't have included that song. Yeah, I was very uncomfortable for that entire musical number. Yeah, that was a weird way to start your movie. <laughs> I mean, technically, that's not the start of the movie because we start with finding out that Donna fucking died off screen. 
Like, what did they never even say how she died? Yeah. Like, it's never a like her presence lingers, but like, I, because we're also seeing a younger version of her, and also because there's like pictures of her all over the place, and also because Meryl Streep's ghost shows up. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, we don't know how she died or anything. It's just like, oh, she died. People are sad about it, but we're honoring her. She died. What of loss of homeostasis? Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's just, like, you could tell, like, that was just because they could only get Meryl Streep for, like, a day of filming. But they had, they they felt like they had to get her back in the film. But that's the way they chose to go about it, was just killing off her character. Um... Which I hate when mm. I I hate characters getting killed off screen, um, because an specifically because an actor either couldn't be involved with the whatever it was to the extent that they were going that the creators wanted them to be involved with, or they just fucking replaced the actress. Uh, who was the best part of the first season and then tried to make the second season <laughs> just King of Queens again and it bombed and got cancelled. <laughs> first season of Kevin Can Wait was fun. <laughs> Sorry, that was just my t- that that was my that was my obligatory Kevin Can Wait rant. Um a show that I think only me, my mom, and my sister watched. <laughs> but it was I, I'm gonna, one. I'm going to be honest. The only reason I think I remember that show exists is because John Oliver did one joke about it and then nothing else ever. And then I heard really nothing else about it ever again. That's right. He did do a joke about Kevin Can Wait. I don't remember what the joke was, but I remember being like, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Um uh do we have anything else to address with this film? Do you have anything else to address with? <sighs> I think I'm good. Uh hold on, let me pull up my notes because I made three of them. Uh I don't know if I talked in the first one about not liking Sky. I still don't particularly like Sky. Yeah. <laughs> um uh which I I only realized um because of the um because of the CinemaSins video that's fucking Howard Stark in, oh. in first in Captain America the First Avenger hmm. yeah <laughs> yeah uh, I guess the one other note that I have was like I don't know, I like the dads interacting with each other yeah. That's fun. They, they, I especially like the joke of when they're figuring out who, how the secret that I've already forgotten her name, but the main Sophie character is, is pregnant. Sophie yeah, is yeah. pregnant. Yeah, I like answer, that. Too. I only told told so and so. I only told Bill. I only told Harry. I told many, many people. Yeah, <laughs> call call it verse to do more comedy. <laughs> yeah. Um. He's also really fucking good in the staircase, which was which had its ups and downs, but he was consistently pretty good in it at playing a just the a 
an irredeemable creep who definitely killed his wife. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think I really have anything else to say. Uh, oh, I, actually, your your comment on the humor did remind me. One quote, because I, I remember this because this was my Letterboxd review of the, the film mm -hmm. uh, when I first watched it. Be still, my beating vagina is the best <laughs> film quote, is what I wrote on I, when, when Christine Baranski said that, <laughs> I lost it. I lost it. That's such a ridiculous quote. That's such a ridiculous thing. And it's like totally in line with her character. Yeah. But like, it was just so fucking funny. It caught me off our it, it so caught me off guard. Cause like I guess I'm I'm always caught off guard when like people mention like people name sex organs in PG or PG 13 movies. Yeah. It's like I forget that they can. <laughs> you know? Like, like it was the same when I was watching Thor Ragnarok for the first time and they said orgy. I was like, wait, you could say that in a PG-13 movie? I mean, I guess I don't <laughs> know why you couldn't, but like, I just never thought. Yeah, that was. I just never thought of it being said. <laughs> yeah. You know, I never considered whether or not orgies happened in the Marvel Cinematic Universe off screen, but I guess now we know the answer. And I don't know that I needed to know the answer to that question. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so final thoughts. Um, yeah, this this movie is, you know, fun at times, mo mostly forgettable for me. Um, I I almost didn't rewatch it. Um, I'm I'm glad I did because I I remembered some fun stuff from it. Um, but like, yeah, like it's. Not one I would ever go to again unless you like unless someone made like an edit of like the pre the the seventies stuff like interspersed with the first movie because that could be fun. Yeah. That could work. Um, <clears throat> because yeah, again, they're 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 Don Donna and the Dynamos in the in the prequel stuff is is good. Oh, also one more thing so fucking weird that we have a sentimental song with Sophie singing with the dynamos uh, interspersed with a montage of young Donna giving birth. That's fucking <laughs> Yeah. That's weird. And it's not done in a comedic way like Glee's rendition of Bohemian Rhapsody. Because <laughs> that was a thing. Anyway. Yeah, my my final thoughts. It, yeah, I mean it's yeah the the first the first one's not great either, but like it, I had more fun with the first one than yeah. this one because it's having more fun with itself. Yeah, yes, my final thoughts are kind of the same. It's like a. I don't regret watching it. I'll probably never watch it again. And if they given the opportunity, I'd just watch the first one because it was more fun. Yeah. All right. And with that, wrapping up 
uh, this episode of the podcast, uh, you I know what you picked, but for 2019, but enlighten the audience. Uh, I picked for our 2019 movie, Doctor Sleep. Yes, the sequel to The Shining. Yeah, which means we need to finish watching The Shining. Yeah. Uh, and then I might as well... I mean, I, like, if you know, like, your your remaining movies, you may as well list them out here, because I know my remaining movie after Oh, that. you know your 2021? Okay, cool. Yeah. Might as well. Um, For 2020, um, you may notice a trend, because <laughs> I figured, you know, we've got some loose ends. Um, You know, we tied off the loose end of the Mamma Mia franchise. Let's take a look at another franchise we have prior experience with so for 2020 i have picked zombies 2 oh god <laughs> which will be an interesting film to watch immediately after dr sleep i'm i'm amused by the horror or slash horror adjacent trend that we have going so far all right uh, and what are you picking for 2021 to uh, I along with that or completely ruin it to continue with it, but with a definitely different tone, uh, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. What the fuck even is that? I uh, it know. is an anime movie. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Uh, and to also continue the trend going back to a, a, I would imagine a similar tone for 2022. I've picked Zombies Three. Oh God! If only we didn't done this in October. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's gonna oh, that's gonna be one hell of a marathon. <laughs> Cause they are all horror adjacent, horror horror, straight up. And two of them are are, are sequels. Well, three of them are sequels, but two of them are sequels within the same franchise. Three and... of them are sequels, one of them's a prequel, technically. Oh. Right. <laughs> Alright, well. Although it's a prequel in the sense the first Indiana Jones is a prequel to the second Indiana Jones, but regardless. Okay. Alright. And, yeah, that will likely be happening sometime in December. We don't have a date for that yet. Um, when the... it happens, that's the date. Yeah. In the meantime, I'm gonna go graduate college. And I'm gonna track down a means to watch the Shining. Yeah. Uh, I might also be able to screen pass that one to you. Hang on, because I do own it on Voodoo. I don't know if that's connected to... I don't know if that one's on movies anywhere. I'll check. Yeah, it totally is. Yeah, sweet. Oh, wait. Is it screen pass? El yes, it is screen pass eligible. Okay. Cool. Nice. So yeah, I can screen pass that one to you as well. That'd be great. Cool. All right. Yeah, just let me know whenever you want to watch The Shining, because it's just like a couple clicks, and then you have seven days to watch The Shining. All right, sounds good. All right, so until next time, I'm Noah. I'm Jacob. Peace. Adios and scene. Come on, Zoom, give me the... There we go. <laughs>